I'm Rachel Friedman, maiden name Altorowicz, born in a small town in Poland, which Kurin, uh, it is also not far from a bigger town, Vileka. And we went through the whole Holocaust, similar to the, all the segments you might see, you might hear, and might uh, see in it a lot of times. But it was a little bit different with us since we were in a small town. They did not, even in our, especially in our, my hometown, they did not even bother to make a ghetto because we were a ghetto. We bought the town, the, all the Jews mostly lived in one, like in one quarter of the, of the place, in a few streets around. <clears throat> Very few Gentile families, only in our street, only one between all of our Jewish families, one Gentile family lived with us, which it was next door, second door from us, from my home. <clears throat> when the, it was in June 1941, the Germans came in and just abruptly, it was like the, a blitzkrieg. We had no time even to think what to do with ourselves, to go, to run. Some people, like my sister, for example, took up with another family from our street and they left on a horse and buggy with some things took with them and they just left the house. And the lady from that house came over to my mom and says, would you please take care of my house until we return? Well, we didn't think it will last for so many years, whatever it happened. And my mother said, and I, I was young, I was a kid really, and I said to my mother, maybe we should go to someplace because Russia, a lot of people turned to go with, with Russians to Russia. My mother said, no, we cannot leave. My brother was in school away from home and decided to wait for him until he came home with us. It was too late to go any place. The Germans were all over and so on at any place. Then they sent in a few guys from them and to our place and they demanded, first of all, what they demanded was the gold, silver, furs, something better things that they needed that right away we had to bring it to the, the established like a Jewish committee. And the Jewish committee was given orders and that's what. And then they decided they, to check everybody by age. A lot of people like uh, starting like from 16 they used to take them, the young kids, the young children, healthy ones, they used to pick up and take them away and take them to work. And at that time we didn't even realize how bad we'll have, but you know, it's just starting. And a lot of moms, you know, the parents, did, they made the children younger so they wouldn't take them away. So this is how I survived with my mother and stayed as a child, they wouldn't take me. But nevertheless, they took me to work. It was the, before the high holidays, then we felt something really happened. Something's really happening to us bad. We did not believe it that something as bad could happen. Matter of fact, I was in Vileka that day and I was taken to work on our jobs. And we walked there. There was no transportation or something. When I came back, I came in the house and I saw something is, something is wrong. And I asked mom, what's going on? What's happening? She says they took up like 52 men and few women and two families across the street from us, a whole family, and my two cousins. And so-called communists, they had to do something before they did not have orders to shoot just anybody in the street. They had to have some, why they taking them, arresting them. And they arrested them and they took them up uh, in the end of one of the streets in a wooded area. And they did travels and they dug their grave before and they shoot them around just like with the uh, automatic weapon. It was the 52 so-called the first slaughtered people from our hometown and it was in a holiday exactly Simchastora, if it, a lot of people know what it is. Then it started every few weeks, the local, especially the local people that were collaborating with the Germans, what they did, they knew everybody. That's why they didn't bother to make a ghetto. They knew where every Jew is and everybody, because the Germans couldn't point out who is a Jew, who is not. Even if I wouldn't wear the yellow, the yellow star on my back and front, they wouldn't know, except somebody would uh, tell them, here, this is a Jewish person or whatever. So they, uh, they were a group of real, real bad guys. One of them, I remember his name, and I can never in my life forget, is Sharon Govich. He himself took upon himself to go one night to have fun. What was the fun? They took out a few families 
a family, a whole family, like both of, both of those families were my schoolmates, and slaughtered them in the backyard and left the bodies. Next day, the only thing what they did, they let us do, take the bodies and bury them. And we woke up next day, it was just exactly three days, four days before Pesach. We woke up next morning, and a lot of people were missing. In, well, it's a small town. Each yeah. one knows in this, the next door. If somebody is missing from another street, you know it, and they found them dead. Matter of fact, two of, another two cousins of mine, girls, were slaughtered, and the rabbi from the from the town was taken out in the, which I showed in the marketplace, and there he was slaughtered in tortured and slaughtered. And then again, we made a grave. The people were busy to bury, because you know we don't keep the bodies alive of dead bodies. It was in the second year of, our, of the German occupation. The, they heard in the, in the forest already started to, people started to run out from a lot of towns almost surrounding our area. They, they ran, whoever could, and they started to organize themselves. At that time, they, were, and they started to do whatever they could for the, against the Germans. So what happened, the Germans were afraid where the railroad there was a wooded area. So what we had to do is to clean up that wooded area. They took off the trees, you know, and then we picked up all the whatever had, uh, cleaned it up. This is a cleaning job, and my mother used to do it for me. I, I, I was there working before. And then my brother was working also at the same place where my uh, boss, he was in charge there. He was working there. And meanwhile, my brother woke up in the morning. It was a Wednesday morning. He woke up. He went to work like normal day. And my, my mother was ready to go to the forest there, the, by the railroad to work. And I was still in bed. So my brother says, he came over back. He came back and he wakes me up. I say, what happened? Why did you come back? What's going on? He says, go get up. Quick, get up. I say, why? I have to go shopping. And she even gave me a list what to shop. And he says, there's no shopping. This is the day with the liquidation of the, my hometown. I couldn't believe it. And then we went out outside, and while, how did he know? Now, this is also something happened. He went and he met another guy that worked there, and going there to the job, on the way, one guy, a Gentile friend of that other guy, he was, they were friends yet in school, before they were on good friends, a Polish guy, he came out of the house and he stopped him, and he told him, my brother was listening, he told him, if you have a hiding place, if you have a place to go, or any place, I don't think so, you can run out, because the, the, the whole city, the town, it's not really a city, the town is surrounded with submachine guns, and you have no place to go, just try to survive, whatever you can. It was nice of him to do it, to say it, and they turned back, and then on the way, whomever my brother met, he told him, hide. As a matter of fact, quite a few families from my street, from our street, survived because of it in the hiding places we did. And then we started up. So my brother said we should go to hide. Before that, a year before yet, it was really six, seven months before that, my brother said we should make a hiding place in case something happens to us, something like in the other towns we hear it's happening already. So he brought every day when he brought from that place where he walked, he brought wood. wood. Mm -hmm planks like wood and he built in the attic of a next door neighbor in the back of us was a small old home old house and he built another attic and he built it so professionally that nobody could even recognize it because matter of fact i'll tell you later what happened so even the next door neighbor didn't know and with a little door to just to go inside like a mouse would go in and a little tiny door behind the chimney and uh, when, this, when we knew already there was no place to run and no place to go, matter of fact, a, a next door neighbor, a young man, older than my brother, a young man, ran out. He says, I'm running. I'm running to Pukeng, which it is a uh, village. And he ran there. He was shot right there. Anyhow, we went up, put up the ladder. We all went up, six of us. And we stayed at was a very small place. We had some, some clothing there that we put before better clothes, my mother's fur coat, the velvet coat, which I took later on to the forest. My, uh, and it was the same day, 
they started to run and we saw everything because it was so old, the house was so old, it was so many holes in the, in the, in the real attic, in the wall, so we saw everything what goes on and who is going and what is doing, going on and seeing, taking out the families. They, they were hidden, but it, it wasn't a hiding place to do really to, not for them not to find it, like in a basement or in a second wall they made. And most of the families were taken out and we saw everybody taken. And the same ne next door neighbor that came over, she wanted to be with us. It, her, it was her niece. And she said, uh, and, she's, and they caught him in the basement. And she said, and she begged, I don't care for me. Let this little girl go. Let this little girl go. Even I don't think so she even knew what's going to happen to her. Nobody knew at that time. We knew it's liquidation day, but maybe a liquidation day, maybe they'll take us someplace, you know. But we didn't know that they'll do the, the job right on there. They took everybody, and a whole day, a whole, whole day went on like this, and we looked, and we were there inside, and seeing it. And then later, we felt like to the, to the evening, we felt a smell like. And then we knew that they were sh shooting the people, and they were taking them and burning them. They, they, because it smelled from bodies up, up there. It was a hot day. It was three days before the uh, Rosh Hashanah, for the high holidays. Rachel, when you were in the attic hiding place, what did you do for food? Yeah, we did not take food with us. We had some clothing, as I told you before, because we put the clothing before in case something will have something. Or <laughs> Nobody knew anything. We just, uh, But it was such a time that we didn't even have time to think about food. It was not enough time. It was already uh, quite late in the morning and just went up there. My mother had breakfast. I didn't even have breakfast. I didn't even think about food. And you know what? We were not even hungry. My mother said to me, in case something happens, we should not let them take us alive. We'll jump from the attic. We'll not, not let, we'll jump, we'll get hurt, whatever will happen. Somehow she had a feeling that it's, it's going to be harder for us since we were hiding. They came in in that house and they took out that guy and they didn't bother to ask him, and they tortured him, and they beat him so much, and you can imagine his wife sitting up there and his daughters up there, and, but we were like mouses. We couldn't open up, not a, not a word, say nothing to each other. And we heard them taking them out from the house, him out, and then we, we were still there a whole day, still in the middle of the day. My next hour, as I told you, next door was next house was a gentle family. Their son was collaborating with the Germans. Before the war, we were so friendly, so friendly, they didn't even just spoke Yiddish. They spoke even Hebrew because we went to a Hebrew school, we spoke Hebrew. That's how close we were, like, like real friends. And all of a sudden, how people can change. Matter of fact, he was the one who tortured my cousin. And from the first 52 people that they died, he was the one because my cousin ran out of that grave. Half shot he was, and ran out and he found him. This guy, he tortured them and he brought him and he just beat him up to death. This lady, of the, the gentle friend of ours, the, the, you know, the family, she was there. And she, as I told you, everybody knows everybody, she noticed that my mother and her children aren't there. So she said it in white Russian, and I have to say it to you because it sounds exactly like this. She said, which it means my mother with her children, she didn't see them there. They must be someplace hiding. And the Germans were going back and forth, and not just the Germans. The Germans wouldn't know, who, they wouldn't even know where to go, what to do, the, the local people, the local police. And she said to the German, Yudi Nahare, the Jews are on, are on the attic. And the Germans didn't want to go. So what they did, and we already hearing everything and seeing it, not just hearing. So she's, uh, the German officer said to him, you go up. And we, when we went up, we dropped the letter. So the letter was on the floor already. There was no letter. So he picked up the letter. The same guy, Misha, he picked up the letter. He went up upstairs on the attic, and he looked around. He picked up some, she had there uh, some uh, dishes. So he picked up some dishes and he says to himself, like, and he says, Nikoni didat. I can see, I see nobody. And you can imagine the lady that her house, we covered her up because she had emphysema and her breathing, we thought she, he might hear. So we covered her up. 
and he went down, he left the letter. And then it was already approached, approached the night like. Next, and at night my mother said, let's go out, we'll try to go out. So we came out of that hall and we opened up the, like the attic door and we hear police patrol are going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in the streets. So there was no use to go out from that place. So we stayed for the next day. And we could hear and, and, and the smell from the bodies. It was so awful and so chalky. And then during the day, all of a sudden, and we, we saw everything, you see, like they're taking our worldly goods, whatever we had. Uh, each, each family had something. We even recognized the, from the beds, everything was taken and piling up in one pile, and my mother recognized the, you know, the bed sheets and everything was. And, but this was nothing, not of our concern. We wanted to survive somehow, to show them, and especially, especially, I'll tell you, to show that, that lady, that next door that we were so friendly before, to show them someday to come back wherever we'll be and how to show them that here we are, we are alive in spite of everything. It came up the night time and my mother said, we are too tired, it's no use, we have to get out. So we decided to go, this was our biggest mistake really, we decided to go two by two. My mother said, it's going to be too much, six of us going out, they hear and they can hear and whatever will happen. So my brother took this little boy with him, and he got down first from the hiding place. Then I got out with a girl my age from the house, from the house. And my mother with the lady of the house, they went out the west. And my mother, like any other mother, she saw me not wearing anything. I didn't have, I had just a pair of sandals that I had on. She had a pair of shoes hidden in the house, and she knew that she didn't see the shoes taken out, so probably she, the shoes are still there hidden in a place that they wouldn't know. She went in, in the house from the back door, and she tore off a curtain, rolled it up, and she took out and found the shoes, and she rolled them out with the shoes in the curtain, and she came, and she, we met in the outskirts already from town, and we went over to a place in a small, small village. When we went through the village, the ladies, since they went, we went like 10, five, 10 minutes apart. So my brother was already over the village. We are to be over. And I turned around to look if my mother is going to be next to after us. She, the lady caught her clothes on a wire. And I went back to unhook her so she could just go over the village and the li a little, like a little river there too, we had to go over. And then somehow, somewhere, I don't know how they heard the Germans from the place, from the, uh, it was German, uh, like the, it was not a military place, but they had always their police going, and they started to shoot. And it, the, it, the shooting on us, and we went like zigzag, and we didn't know what next and what to do. We were scared, you know, we all were scared of. We didn't know from each other already. So what happened? I lost the sight of my brother. It was pitch dark. And we, I, my mother says, oh, my kind, oh, my child, and she thought he was killed. And my brother, on the other hand, at that time, thought we were killed. And then we walked for a half an hour until we find, found, finally got to a wooded area, and there we settled and rested in the wooded area. And never saw my, my mother, never saw her son, knowing she knew in her heart he was killed. But later on, as the, my story unfolds, I found him later on and miraculously. He was taken to a uh, concentration camp from another town. He went to, because you see, my brother went to the wooded area to the forest and he didn't, he didn't meet anybody. He didn't see, he thought he's the only one survivor. So he didn't care for him and he had the little guy with him, the little boy. So they went to another town. And from there on, his life started a new turn and now our life was starting. It was Friday. Saturday morning, we slept the whole night there on the same floor, in the same, it wasn't the forest yet, it was a wooded area, we stayed. Next morning, it was Saturday morning, we were very hungry, very hungry, three days without food, and no drinks, we drink from the trees, the, 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 just like a drop each time, we just, this was our water. And my mother said, next morning, it was Sunday already in the morning, and my mother had a, a silk shawl and sukarilge chair. And she said, we went into our village, we just went in to look for some people, for some food to eat, otherwise we'll, we won't survive anyhow. And we came into our house, 
and the family gave us pancakes they made for breakfast and they gave us some pieces of bread and and they made uh, like um, it was something baked that I didn't even know what it is even. but we were so hungry we didn't care we ate and it would taste it so good my mother did not want to take for nothing like so she gave him sukkaril and we went back to the Budadalia and here we saw another couple from my hometown surviving so the couple said oh you know what there are a few families survived and we were looking where to go and what to do because nobody knew where to go so anyway we met the old families we stayed a few days in the same area we had a few pieces of bread so we didn't weren't that hungry and then I, one guy and you know who the guy the same guy that they let him survive from the 52 mm -hmm. people he ran out he survived this uh, liquidation of the ghetto too and he came to the forest there and he took us out to the real forest and it was something to go into it was pitch pitch dark in the forest even during the day was dark it's an old big huge place like you know from one from here to Cincinnati some, something like this and there we scattered families together a few families we couldn't be together the only thing he said you cannot be together in one place no matter what it's going to be too much noise and that's how it started to survive in the forest and it took us first of all what we dug up it was water to have drink and then we started to beg we went to the villages and thank goodness for those people who are so generous everybody nobody let us go with nothing it's empty-handed some people gave us peas some people gave us a piece of bread some people gave us a potato whatever they could and we were not only one family was quite a few families it was already cold it was in december and we we woke up there one were night. three of you then uh, we had i, I had mean, my mother mm -hmm. uh, my mother and we were with another family they had three small children they survived those in the hiding place three small children and we somehow they they let us stay with them they let us be with them they were young young people and we stayed together we had you know a whole day we had a wooded fire so we kept warm and the front was warm the back was cold or we had to turn and it was very cold we woke up one, one night from the on the ground we slept playing on the ground so we woke up my mother had a full coat since she took out from the hiding place so we had to something to cover up we woke up one night we were covered with snow which it was very warm to sleep at that time the men decided to go in another area from the forest and to make a underground like a bunker to build a bunker to stay over, over winter if and here uh, they didn't want to really take my mother and myself in because for all who for women without a man it was very hard to survive in general so my mother told them i'll pay you something she had her jewelry so she gave up uh, a ring my father's ring and they took it in they they said they're going to spend it they have to pay off some people to get the wood to get some instrument to build this bunker from the farmers and that's how it started and we went in it was already in January, the beginning of January, after New Year's, we went in at 43. We went into that bunker. My mother didn't stay long. It was only five weeks. One morning, my mother got, got up and she says, you know what, I'm going to the village and I'm going to uh, pick up some straw for a new mattress, or something, because it was so hard to sleep on the wood. And I'll take, uh, I'll ask the lady, because we used to go begging there. We knew a lot of people. They were nice people, nice to us. So I'll ask her lady, she named her, and for a pair of scissors, and I'll make you from the piece of curtain that she had Vitra taken from the house. I'll make you some dress, because I had nothing. You know, in the morning it was summer, and here it's already winter, and it's cold. And the shoes that she took out, she gave it to me, and hair for herself, she made from rags. She wrapped around her feet. This is how she went. And it was snow endlessly. It was snow at a half a meter you know it was a lot of snow on the ground and in the same morning somehow i woke up and she made she cooked even peas and she said you eat your breakfast and i'll come later if i don't come so soon but i'll come if not i'll come and we'll eat together and here I, it was already late i felt something heavy a heaviness in my heart i came out of that bunker and i hear it's shooting some shooting is going on what's going on there it was the first time ever happened something like this in the past so um, I came in back to the people that we were 18 people in that hall and I said to them you know something is going on something is bad and the other she went with another lady and they had the whole family in the same bunker and then uh, somehow I felt bad I felt sick to my stomach and I said to myself 
I'm not going to listen to you. And I told him, you know what, I'm going there. In, her foot, in their footsteps, it was, the snow was in and out, it was very hard to walk in, but in the footsteps of their footsteps, I walked. When I came to the outskirts of that forest, before the village, I noticed something wrong. And I went in and I, I didn't see anybody, it was very quiet. But I noticed the, 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 the steps and the, the, from the soldiers of Betjeville and the buggies and the sleds. I went into the first house. There was a guy that he had a contract with the partisans and also he gave some information, always brought information. When he saw me, he started to really, he started to talk to me loud. He says, how dare could you come now in such a day, in such a turmoil here? They just slept with your mother and the other friends. I said, what happened? And he said, the Germans, just this minute, and, and it was not that they weren't just Germans, it was one German and nine Ukrainians. And what had really happened, my mother and the other friends, they were in a, uh, not in a house, but they went in, in, before they went into a house, they heard somebody talking in Russian, so they told the partisans came back from their jobs at night. So in the morning, they probably came to eat in the village to ask for food. She didn't realize because we never expected that so soon somebody will come after us. And, but there were the Ukrainians and the Germans, they caught them, both of them alive, and they took him with them wherever they went, and that guy did not know where. They took him to the forest, back to the forest. At that time, I was so upset, it's naturally, knowing that the Germans took my mother away alive, knowing that they might torture her, and what will happen and to us, and they might ask her to take us, to take them to our place where the rest of us. Later, evidently later, I found out, because with my mother, a Gentile guy, a farmer was also going to, to out from his, just to the yard, he was taken. They didn't know, but on the way, later on I met him and he told me all about it. On the way, he told them that I'm not Jewish, I'm a farmer, I live here, mm -hmm. and uh, I went to feed cow, whatever he said. And he told me then that my mother asked them, begged them to let him go. I have a daughter, she'll never survive. The same story she used to tell me, uh, that I won't survive without her. She's the only reason I'm alive and I live without her, it's no way. And uh, I went back. The same way I went back to tell this, my friends in, in the bunker that uh, something like this terrible thing happened, I had to tell them. On the way, I, I can imagine I cried my heart out. And on the way, I stopped another place, another bunker with another few Jewish families were hiding there. And I told them the same thing, what happened to my mother, and for them to leave the place or to hide or to go someplace. And I finally I came to the bunker and I fell in the bunker without my strength, with nothing, and, and already wet from sweating. And they say, my goodness, and the girls, my age, two, two sisters and two younger children they were. And they ask, what happened? Oh, Rachel, something happened to our mothers. I say, yes, something happened, terrible happened. So they, after all, they were now, you know, we were 16 people then, and they decided to go, to leave the bunker, because in case they'll come to the same place. Because the forest was divided in, by numbers. And certain, and as, like numbers, this number was a certain place, like uh, around the forest were a lot of villages. And each village had their own section of the forest. Who did that? Who did the dividing? Well, it was divided for a long, long time. Okay. That was the forest, how the forest was. And then uh, we went out. And I, of course, I cried a lot, not knowing the, the, what will happen and what's happening to my mom. Somehow I got lost. Running and going, it, you couldn't even run. It was so much snow. And I had my the mother's coat over me. And I just, from exhaustion, I lay down, and I fell asleep, and here I woke up, it was dark. And nobody around me, and I didn't know who the people, where are they, where they went. And I said to myself, where the, how, how, where, and I just woke up, and I didn't, and then I woke up and I think, well, oh, my mother is not more, no more with me. And I went back, and I, by the, I was, it was easy to find a place because of the snow, the deep snow, and the same footsteps, and I went back to the place. They were all there already. They came back to the place because they wouldn't be that late in the, the Germans wouldn't be that late in the forest. And that's how it started. We did not think where my mother is and how to find her. And I said, we have to find my mother. She's not alive. I knew she's not alive, my heart told me. Seven days it took us. 
a Gentile family from another village went by and they saw the bodies. They noticed in the forest two bodies. And, uh, and matter of fact, I paid my mother's ring I gave to the Gentile woman just to bring our people to that place to show them. It was all connected because we send out messengers. And I said, I'll give anything I don't need with my mother's jewelry. I don't need anything. I need to find her body. I cannot leave her body lying there. And so they found the body, and they brought the body in for burial, and they buried the two bodies. And life went on. It was tough. It was bad. The little girl that my mother thought would not survive was strong enough, and even more so wanted to survive. Someday to survive and just come back and tell them, here I am, in spite of you. And it didn't take long. It was in March, and in April 29, 43, the Germans started again to surround the forest. At that time, at this time, they surrounded our area. They started from that area, because you see, I told you the forest was divided. They had a plan to go in the other area where, um, unfortunately, my mother was caught. Otherwise, if she wouldn't be there, she wouldn't be caught, because it was not their plan. This time, it was this side of the forest was to be surrounded. And they got us there. And a, night be a day before, I was in the same village. And a guy, a young guy, a gentle guy, he was also working with the partisans. And uh, he said he has to meet somebody, and it is in our area. So I said, let's go. I was not afraid. Somehow I was so strong. I was not afraid. He was a young man, after all. I was a young girl. But somehow, I, I, in my heart, I felt nobody will touch me. Nobody will harm me anymore. Only a German can harm me. I wouldn't let anybody do anything to me. So this was my feelings. And I took him with me, and he came to us, and he stayed overnight. And next morning happened. The Germans was ju just close to the bunker. We didn't even have time to, to get out. We just, uh, in, in, a, in a second, we got out. And four men were slaughtered right then, right then. And we heard everything. And then in a few minutes later, the bunker was uh, a grenade. They threw a grenade in it. And we didn't know how to turn, where to go. I and this guy. And I again got lost from the rest of the, with the children. See, they had a family. One family was with three small children. So the guy said, we can't go with the children because the children, you know, they'll cry and the, the Germans are surrounded here. Every place you go, you hear German speaking. And this time, I, I heard more German than, uh, than Ukrainians. So we went and he said, let's go up north. He knew directions more than I. He was older, I guess, than I was. And then uh, we were just, uh, we just went and it just the Germans were, you could hear them, you could even hear their breathing. So we went to our left. And there we found the same family with the three children, father, mother, and three children, hiding on a very large tree, dried up tree, fallen. Under that tree they were sitting and we had no choice because, it, and not far from that was the little roadway. And we heard them going with the buggies, with the horses, we, we could hear everything. And here I see, and I couldn't even talk already, because I saw the German with his, with his uh, submachine gun staying not far from us. You could see him. He, luckily, otherwise he wouldn't. I couldn't tell the story. But he couldn't see us, but we saw him. So the, the, he was the Gentile guy. He was so upset. The children might cry. So we were so quiet, and the lady started to nurse the baby. It was a baby over a year old, and she started to nurse her. The baby should be quiet. And they went, they had to go, there was a, a purpose for them, where to go, how to go, they went by us. Somehow, miraculously, they didn't see us. And it was already dark. At night, we went back, and we saw the bunkers, there's nothing there anymore. And he took us to a new place, again to a new area, the other side of that village, in a new area, in a new, like a block, a new different number. And he knew every, every number. He knew he was locally born there and raised there. And if we found a, he found a bunker, he knew there is a bunker, an empty bunker, and he t told us to be here. And he stayed with me because he felt so sorry for me and so alone. He stayed with us, with me, to watch over me because I was shaking the second time already, being entered the German and this frightening thing. And uh, then he left us, and we stayed on there for quite a few months in the same area, same place, and I used to go to work. At that time, there were a lot of partisan groups going around. Some partisan groups met me and they asked me to join them, and I was so afraid to join them because I was so vulnerable, young, growing up, becoming a young lady already, and here I am by myself.
And I said to myself, no, I'm afraid. What will happen to me in case something? And you know, I, I was just afraid I didn't know what to do. And I did. this same family with the three small children, they somehow adopted me like. And I was with them until the end of the war. And I used to, but I did. I said, I have to do something. The partisan girls used to do their job at night. During the day, they had to hide the same as we had to hide from anybody. So I, they, they came over us, they saw us, they met us, and one of those groups, one guy asked us to do for them something. I said, anything we want me to do, I'll do. And they asked us to, to cook for us. So it was something, you know, if men go out at night for such a job to do, to, for the, to blow up the railroad or to blow up a, uh, something like they felt it would be harm for the Germans, so why shouldn't I do something for them? At least they'll come to a good meal. And it was my favorite thing to do anyhow. I like to cook no matter what. They took us back to our camp. It was like a camp. This time we didn't have a bunker underground. We had a, like a camp. We made a camp, a little camp. And we survived then until it was already again, already started to become later on in the fall. Uh, I went to the same place where my mother was shot in the same village. I had a lot of friends, so-called friends there. I went to ask something for somehow, something, I don't remember the what for, but on the way, I noticed four men, the heads, on, they were laying on the, on the ground there, and I noticed four heads. And I said, my goodness, it's not Germans. I, Germans, they wouldn't lay down there and watch anybody. And I just didn't care anymore, anyhow. And I went by and they say, Amcho, which means a Jewish, it was a uh, code name, like mm -hmm. to say, a, a word to say. Right. And here I found, as a matter of fact, one of them called me from Israel, they're going to come to visit us. And one guy, he asked me where I am from, I said I'm from Kronitz, and they told me they are from different places, survived, but they come from Vilna Ghetto. And Vilna Ghetto, they ran out, and uh, Vilna Ghetto was already organized to let young people go each time they let out a group. And they gave them uh, whatever ammunition they had, and they let them, and they heard that there is a forest, and there are a lot of partisans for them to fight. Everybody wanted just to fight, to do something. And those four guys asked me for a guy that I knew, if I can find it, where can we find this Matulski guy? And I said, oh, let's go, I'll take you. So I didn't go any place anymore. I had to go someplace to the village. I didn't even go because it was before I entered the village. And I said, let's go, I'll take you home. On the way home, this I called home. On the way there, I asked them, how come you in Vilna? What happened? He says, well, they say, each one told me their own story, how they got to be in Vilna. And they asked me, what's your name? So I said, Rochlal Torovich, my maiden name. So one of those guys said to me, oh, we have from Kurnitz a guy in, in Vilna. And, and he's, he's uh, with us in the same place in Vilna ghetto. And he walks with, uh, with a whole group of 70 young men from all surrounding towns, from us, all together there. And I say, who from Kurnitz, from my hometown? Who could it be? Well, they couldn't remember the name. Couldn't remember the name, and I said to myself, I gave them a few names that might be, that did not survive, maybe. Who, who would think about somebody like my brother? And then uh, I said to them, or they say, Who, whom do you have here? I say, I'm by myself. My mother was just caught. And he asked me again, and he somehow he felt that something has, maybe this guy, and, he, and then the other guy, another guy from another place, from an, he was, there were four. So one guy says, you know Mesh Kaltorovich? Misha? And I fell. I, I was shaking. I say, no, it cannot be. It's my brother? And he told, and then he said to me, he told us that he left in the same, in a hiding place that he built, that they telling me that. In a hiding place that he built, he survived for two days. They went out at night with my mother and a friend and a little boy. And he was taken to a different place and he was taken to the concentration camp, my brother, and taken to Vilna Ghetto later on. And, but my, brother, my mother and, and, and little sister, they were slaughtered on the way they were killed. And I said, no, we were not killed. I thought my brother was killed. And since then, I said, no way. I'm going to find my brother, and I'm going to try to get him out from Vilna Ghetto, no matter what will happen. And they told me, you don't have to do anything. He is in, he is in the line-like. 
they'll be someday he'll get out he'll get out too because group by group they let him go and since then whomever i met partisans or no partisan i didn't care whomever i met i asked for my brother and i told him that he looks like this maybe you found him maybe what and then i went to visit a friend of mine from my hometown she was in the forest too and i came there and i met her and she introduced me to the to the partisan groups to the over there the commander and he asked me to would i be willing to stay here and to stay with her and to do whatever she does there was another family working in the office this was a group a special group sent out from russia by this by helicopter by um, drop down they dropped parachute. them parachutes and i said okay for a few days i'll stay and I'll see what will happen, but I don't want to stay with the, with the partisans. I, I want to have my own place. And she stayed with the, with the villagers. They were in regular houses there. In, the, in a village. It was set in a village. And I stayed with her a few days. And it didn't take us long. It took us a few days, really. And here we had to, to go up, to go. The whole group had to move. And we moved with them. And here it started a new blockade. And I was stuck. How did you know that the Germans were going to blockade the area where you were? The, the partisan groups had messengers. They were constantly on alert. Where in all the villages, no surroundings, we had all the messengers that the people that had connections with the outside world. So they knew. At that time, they already knew that at that place, at that village, the, the Germans are, are there already and starting to shoot at us. So we started, to, we left the place, plain. Altogether, we left after the sh and they still were shooting at us. But here I am with partisan groups. I'm not with, with a family with small children. Wherever they go, I'll go. And they had arms. We they had am they had arms. arms. Yeah. And we went. We went, but because it was not for the partisans to fight the Germans, it's just to do wrong, but not to fight them because we, they couldn't fight them. And we went on for a few nights. A few, uh, during the days we were hiding, and the nights we went on. The, and the Germans followed us and the Germans burned and you could see nothing but flames at night because every village was burned to, 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 to the ground. That's why the frustration of the Germans not to, to, to catch anybody like they, they took out the frustration on the farmers, on the villagers. And at that time, at that point, we went already, we went a long, long way from that old place and I'm in a different world and a different side and a different, like a different country to me. And we came to a time, it was, I remember, again, the holidays. And until we came, it's very hard to, to, to just to tell it in a, a short time. The, the way, just the, the few days, our going, our crawling, we didn't even walk. We crawled because it was so, we were afraid somebody will notice us. Anyway, we came to a point, to a place that they, that guy knew he, it was close to his hometown. And he knew every area there and every village there. And he came, he says, let's go up here in a, in a, in a uh, place that I know the guy, the farmer, and we'll stay overnight on the hay, and we'll lay down there a whole Saturday. It was a Saturday morning, a Saturday day, a whole day. At night, it was Yom Kippur. And at night, the guy came up, the guy knew that we were somebody's hiding there. He came up, he brought us a, a loaf of bread, a farmer's cheese, and a, a milk. And we drank the milk. We didn't eat a whole day, of course. We drank the milk first, and we had the bread and cheese. And then he says to me, Rachel, I'm going to another village with my wife and son, and that guy in the village will not accept you. He'll hide me, but he won't hide you. He gave me a list, a long, long list of villages. And he says, you have to survive. You have to go from village to village until you get to the place again where I was taken from. And here I am with, with, with the list in the pocket, and the night and a crossway and a crossroad he said here you go with this road and I, he went with the other road he left me alone and the, it was the night of the you know it was the moon high and i just saw my shadow and i i, I was scared for my shadow my just and i said to myself will i survive here what kind of guy could have done to anybody what he did to me and he was a jewish fellow and i had nobody there and didn't know anybody and I went, it was Saturday late at night, and I went in and knocked on the door, and I asked directions because I came to a place where it was an, again a crossroads. Where to go again, I didn't know. So, and nobody answered. And then I knocked on another window, 
and they start to yell at me why I'm disturbing them. So I noticed that there's no way nobody will answer me, and I was afraid. So I went on, I went, and I went, and I went, and I went for a couple hours, probably walked. And then I noticed a little, little, it was like a um, shag. And I said to myself, I'm going to lay down, at least I'll lay down and rest. But it was a, a bed. You know, the, the, the villagers had their bed behind, in, in the, behind the village. And they used to Saturday night make it hot and they bathe there. And first they, the men bathe and then the women. So I came in and I, 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 knew, I heard already women talking and I came in. I didn't care anything anymore about my life. I gave up all my hopes already, really. And uh, here it was an old lady and she started to ask me some questions and she says, oh, my child, undress and I'll bait you and you'll be clean and, and I'll take you with me. And I was so afraid and I said, my goodness, I'm in her hands. Anyway, she took me. She was afraid even to tell it to her daughter-in-law. She took me in in her house and I stayed the whole night until Sunday morning. Sunday morning, early in the morning, of course, I didn't sleep good. And I saw her staying about the icon in, in the villages in, the, in Europe. They have the icon. The, the, most of them are Catholics and they have their mother Mary, the son. This is a picture icon, if you know what mm -hmm. it is here, I don't know. And she's praying. She's on her knees and praying. And I said to myself, what is she doing? Is she selling me for a little bit of salt or a piece of soap? What will she do with me? And then she says, are you awake, Dochinka, which means uh, my child, my daughter. And uh, I got up, and she had her, the breakfast served like for a queen. And I still say, my goodness, what is she doing? What is she trying to do? And she told me plainly, don't go at night, go during the day, and don't pay attention to the villagers, don't answer any questions to anybody. You walk. And again, and she, I walked a whole day till evening. And I went back to my friends, my family, with the three small children, to visit them again. This was my journey, just for, to go to see my uh, friends. And I came back, and when I came back, my friend, my other friend, the young, that her mother was killed with my mother, she was very, very sick. But she had a friend that he took me, the same friend that took me to that place to visit my friend. And he, somebody told me that he knows about my brother something. And, and again, on the way there, I met so many partisans and everybody I asked about my brother. So one guy from Vilna Ghetto came and he told me that the group that my brother was there in Vilna Ghetto was taken already to, to Estonia. And then, uh, and they were taken to Riga, and it was the end. Final way is Riga. Vilna didn't have room enough. So I already lost my hope. Then I came back, and I asked my friend, I said to my friend, ask this guy if he knows something about my brother. And that, he knew about my brother because he met my brother, and my brother came out of the Vilna ghetto, and my, when my brother was in Vilna ghetto, the same four guys that I met, in, in laying there on the ground, one of those guys had a sister in Vilna Ghetto. He went out from the forest, he went to the Vilna Ghetto back and to take out his uh, sister. As a matter of fact, he took her out. He was, she was killed later. And he met my brother there. And he told my brother about me. And my brother says, I have to go. My sister was alive and he went to, and he was in the seventh heaven. And I still didn't see my brother. So now it started my, my journey again. I had to meet and I had to find my brother wherever he is in the forest. And I went on and on and on for days and days and days and couldn't find my brother until I got to a village and somebody said that he's with a group of partisans and the partisans are meeting in this village. And I went to this village and I met the partisans and but my brother wasn't there. He was uh, sent to do some job, on a job. So then I went to another uh, village. From the other village, I met people from my hometown. They were in another, in another place from the forest, and it was always short, I'm telling you. It was already what I went through on the way here. It was the end. I thought this is the end of, the, of, my, of my life, not just my journey. And I waited, and I, and I got a sent word that I'm looking for my brother. And you see, the, during the, from the partisans, one gives a message to the other one. And somehow I waited, and I met, I met my brother in the forest. And I went to, it was unbelievable how we met. It was a miracle, just couldn't happen. And luckily it happened to me. Rachel, why do you think it's important to tell these stories? Important to tell because people still don't believe it happens. People are educated people, professors, PhDs, and people that they, people might have something to believe in. And they go up and they say it's, it was a hoax, it's not really happening. 
How could they dare say it? I was from a family. My, my mother had three sisters and four brothers. They all were married. They all had children. The oldest brother of my mother had already a grandchild. My father had three, six, five brothers and one sister. They all were married. They had children. So you see, I had a lot, a lot of cousins, but none of them is alive. Not one survived. Only one from my father's side, a young lady that survived in Minsk. It was Russia. I didn't even know from her. She survived the same way I survived in the forest. She ran out of this slaughterhouse there. And Minsk was a big, big city. A lot of Jews there. And she's the only one from her family. So we were two from the whole. My father's, my mother's side, nobody survived. Not even one cousin. I have nobody. And how could they say that they survived? That's what is important for us, since we are already everybody, we are not young anymore. We have to tell the story. We just have to. For people to see and they can recognize me. It's not American born or nothing. I am with my with my accent. I am the one who survived and the way and it is a lot more to tell to the story than whatever I could say now. So it, it has to be done. not say that you now walk the final way because the darkened heavens hide the blue of day the time we've longed for will at last draw near and our steps as drums will sound that we are here from land all green with palms to lands all white with snow we now arrive with all our pain and all our woe where our blood sprayed out and came to touch the land, there our courage and our faith will rise and stand. 